Ladies and gentlemen, the RPA family would like to wish you and your loved ones a very happy and safe holiday season. Oh yeah, we love you. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Good evening, and welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the program. Now, on with tonight's show. We remember stories about airplanes, such as Kenneth Arnold back in 1947 reporting, technically reporting the first UFOs while he was flying a plane in Washington State. We remember the Twilight Zone story where William Shatner witnessed a gremlin on the wing of the plane trying to destroy it. You might even remember the scene in the movie Heavy Metal where the bomber gets hit by the orb and the pilots are witness to zombies, skeletons, scary creatures coming forward to kill them. Well, tonight my story is about another aircraft, a commercial aircraft, that was involved in what at the time was one of the worst air disasters in American history and the subsequent reports regarding that that aircraft, that crash, those people on the plane. Flight 401, Eastern Airlines, departed JFK Airport in New York on Friday, December 29th, 1972 at 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time carrying 163 passengers and 13 crew members. The flight was routine until 11.32 p.m. when the plane began its approach into Miami International Airport. After lowering the gear, First Officer Albert John Stockstill, who was 39 years old, and had 5,800 hours of flying experience, noticed that the landing gear indicator, a green light identifying that the nose gear is properly locked in the down position, had not illuminated. This would be some cause for concern. This was, as it would turn out, due to a burned out light bulb. However, had it been honest and the nose gear had not been down, the landing gear could have been manually lowered 
by hand. The pilot cycled the landing gear but failed to get the confirmation light. Pilot Loft, that would be Captain Roy Alvin or Bob Loft, who was 55, a veteran pilot who ranked 50th in seniority at Eastern. He had been with the airline for 32 years and had accumulated a total of 29,700 flight hours throughout his flying career. He had logged 280 hours in the L-1011, which is what the Eastern Airlines flight was, the type of plane. Eastern called it a TriStar. Pilot Lott, who was working the radio, told the tower that they would discontinue their approach to the airport and request to enter a holding pattern. The approach controller cleared the flight to climb to 2,000 feet, then hold west over the Everglades. The cockpit crew removed the light assembly, and second officer Donald Lewis or Don Repo, 51, who had 15,700 hours of flying experience, was dispatched to the avionics bay beneath the flight deck to confirm via a small porthole if the landing gear was indeed down. 50 seconds after reaching their assigned altitude, Captain Loft instructed First Officer Stockstill to put the L-1011 on autopilot. For the next 80 seconds, the plane maintained level flight. Then it dropped 100 feet, then again flew level for two more minutes, after which it began a descent so gradual it could not be perceived by the crew. In the next 70 seconds, the plane lost only 250 feet. But this was enough to trigger the altitude warning C-chord chime located under the engineer's workstation. The engineer, who was repo, had gone down below, and no indication was heard of the pilot's voices recorded on the CVR or the black box that they heard the chime. In another 50 seconds, the plane was at half its assigned altitude, or 1,000 feet. As Stockstill started another turn onto 180 degrees, he noticed the discrepancy. The following conversation was recovered from the flight voice recorder later. Stockstill said, We did something to the altitude. Loft asked, What? Stockstill, We're still at 2,000 feet, right? Loft, Hey, what's happening here? Less than 10 seconds after this exchange, the jetliner crashed. The location was west-northwest of Miami, 18.7 miles from the end of runway 9 left. The plane was traveling at 227 miles per hour when it hit the ground. With the aircraft in mid-turn, the left wing tip hit the surface first, then the left engine and the left landing gear, making three trails through the sawgrass, each five feet wide and more than 100 feet long. 
when the main part of the fuselage hit the ground. It continued to move through the grass and water, breaking up as it went. The crash of Flight 401 in the Florida Everglades was terrible. Number one, it happened in the middle of the night. Number two, it happened in the Everglades. There was hardly any way to get to the people or to get to the crash site. Robert Bud Marquis, who lived from 1929 to 2008, was an airboat pilot. And he was out frog gigging with Ray Dickinson when they witnessed the crash. They rushed to rescue survivors. Marquis received burns to his face, arms, and legs, a result of spilled jet fuel from the crash TriStar, but continued shuttling people in and out of the crash site that night and the next day. For his efforts, Bud Marquis received the Humanitarian Award from the National Air Disaster Alliance Foundation and the Alumatech Airboat Hero Award from the American Airboat Search and Rescue Association. In all, 75 people survived the crash. 67 of the 163 passengers and 8 of the 10 flight attendants. Despite their own injuries, the surviving flight attendants were credited for helping other survivors and several quick-thinking actions such as warning survivors of the danger of striking matches due to jet fuel in the swamp water and singing Christmas carols to keep up hope and draw the rescue team's attention as flashlights were not part of the standard equipment on commercial airliners at the time. Of the cockpit crew, only flight engineer Repo survived the initial crash along with technical officer Donadeo and his name was completely technical officer Angelo Donadeo who was 47 returning to Miami from an assignment in New York accompanied the flight crew for the journey but was officially an off-duty non-revenue passenger he was down in the nose bay the electronics nose bay with Don Re uh, with repo at the time of the crash or the moment of impact as they call it stock still was killed on impact while captain loft died in the wreckage of the flight deck before he could be transported to a hospital repo was evacuated to a hospital but later succumbed to his injuries donadeo the lone survivor of the four flight of the four flight deck occupants recovered from his injuries. Donadeo died in 2004 at age 79. Most of the dead were passengers in the aircraft's midsection. The swamp absorbed much of the energy of the crash, lessening the impact on the aircraft. The mud of the Everglades may have blocked wounds sustained by survivors, preventing them from bleeding to death. However, it did complicate things as it also allowed organisms in in the swamp water to get into the wounds which caused infection and caused the potential the potential for gas gangrene eight passengers became infected 
Doctors used hyperbaric chambers to treat the infections. All the survivors were injured. 60 received serious injuries, and 17 suffered minor injuries that did not require hospitalization. The most common injuries were fractures of ribs, spines, pelvises, and lower extremities. 14 survivors had various degrees of burns. Now this is a terrible crash, as I said. And what could possibly have happened to make this plane go down when they're simply looking for a, to see if a bulb is burned out or if something is wrong? The National Transportation Safety Board said that the autopilot had been inadvertently switched from altitude hold to control wheel steering, which means the altitude hold would have kept it at a constant height. If they were supposed to be at 2,000 feet, it would have kept them at 2,000 feet. But this allowed this other form, the control wheel steering, allowed any minor adjustment to the yoke of the craft to be translated into movement, whether you go up or down, sideways, you know, whatever. It says once the whole pilot, uh, once the pilot releases pressure on the yoke, the autopilot maintains the pitch altitude that keeps it at level until he moves the yoke again, at which it transfers to the craft and the craft does what it says. Investigators believe that the autopilot switched modes when the captain accidentally leaned against the yoke while turning to speak to the flight engineer who was sitting behind him and to the right. A slight forward pressure on the stick would have caused the aircraft to enter a slow descent. There were various investigations into this accident and the people involved. Captain Loft was later found to have an undetected tumor in his brain in an area which controls vision. However, the National Transportation Safety Board concluded that the captain's tumor did not contribute to the accident. The final report cited the cause of the crash as pilot error. Specifically, the failure of the flight crew to monitor the flight instruments during the final four minutes of flight and to detect an unexpected descent soon enough to prevent impact with the ground. Preoccupation with the malfunction of the nose landing gear position indicating system distracted the crew's attention from the instruments and allowed the descent to go unnoticed. In response to the accident, many airlines started crew resource management training for their pilots. The training is designed to make problem solving in a cockpit much more efficient, thus causing less distraction for the crew. Flashlights are now standard equipment near jump seats and all jump seats are outfitted with shoulder harnesses. So why do I tell you all this information about this crash? Well, it leads us to what happened afterwards. The aftermath of the craft. It is said that Eastern Airlines cannibalized parts of Flight 401 that were not badly damaged or damaged at all and used them on later flights because the L-1011 was a new plane, parts were scarce, and if you had one, 
you used it. So, that leads us to other things. But there was a book written in 1976 by John G. Fuller, and it was called The Ghost of Flight 401. Fuller recounts stories of paranormal events aboard other Eastern aircraft in the belief that these sightings were caused by equipment salvaged from Flight 401. Eastern Airlines CEO at the time and former Apollo astronaut Frank Borman called the ghost story surrounding the crash garbage. Eastern considered suing for libel based on an assertion of a cover-up by Eastern executives, but Borman opted not to sue because he said a lawsuit would merely give credence and exposure to the story and cause it to grow. It was later found out that the parts that had been cannibalized from Flight 401 and put on other airplanes were removed and stored in Eastern's home base. There was another book also written, Rob and Sarah Elder's 1977 book, Crash. There were two made-for-television movies based on the crash, and they were both aired in 1978. Crash, which aired in October, was based on the Elder's book and dramatized the crash, the rescue efforts, and the investigation. The Ghost of Flight 401 aired earlier in February and was based on Fuller's book and focused more on the ghost sightings around the aftermath. There are a list of similar accidents. An Aeroflot flight 593, which was a 1994 accident, in which an inadvertent change to the autopilot settings went unnoticed by the crew. The story of the Lady B. Good, a B-24 aircraft, which was similarly, similarly reputed to be cursed after salvaged parts from it were reused in other aircraft. LOT Flight 7, a 1980 accident which began with a burnout gear indicator light bulb. Northwest Airlines Flight 705, a 1963 accident in which an aircraft broke up and crashed into the Florida Everglades. Scandinavian Airlines System Flight 933, a 1969 accident in which the crew were distracted by possible landing gear problems. United Flight 173, a 1978 accident in which the crew were distracted by possible landing gear problems. United Flight 232, a 1989 accident in which an aircraft crash landed in a shallow angle like Flight 401. Value Jet Flight 592, a 1996 accident in which an aircraft crashed into the Florida Everglades not far from where Flight 401 crashed. Now, one of the aircraft that received cannibalized parts from Flight 401 was tail numbered Innora 318EA. And as the weeks and months passed, strange goings on began to occur. 1973 Eastern Airlines TriStar, TriStar was boarding 
for its flight down to Miami. Traveling that morning was one of the airline's vice presidents. As a VIP passenger, he was allowed onto the aircraft first and made his way to the first class cabin. As he moved toward his seat, he noticed a company captain in full uniform and went over to have a chat. During the ensuing conversation, he suddenly realized he was speaking to Bob Loft. The apparition quickly disappeared and the vice president rushed off to find a crew member, terrified that it could be an omen that something would happen to the craft. A search of the plane was carried out before any other passengers boarded, but there was no sign of the mystery captain. A few months later, back at JFK, a crew boarding the same aircraft, the 318, were surprised to see Loft already on board. They apparently chatted to the ghost, not realizing who he was, before he vanished right before their eyes. The flight was later canceled as the crew were too shaken to operate. On board the L-1011, flight engineers would usually arrive at the aircraft before the other crew to carry out their pre-flight checks. This particular day, a flight engineer was stunned to see an Eastern second officer already sat in a seat. He immediately recognized him as Don Repo, and the apparition said to him, You don't need to worry about the pre-flight. I've already done it before disappearing right before his eyes. Some weeks later, another captain was checking the instruments before a flight from Miami to Atlanta. Staring him right in the face was the unmistakable outline of Repo's face. The captain claimed he distinctly heard the words, There will never be another crash on an L-1011. We will not let it happen. During a flight from Atlanta to Miami aboard 318, the flight deck crew were enjoying their meal as they cruised at 39,000 feet. Suddenly there was a loud knocking coming from the hell hole, which is the area underneath the flight deck. By now the ghostly stories had been circulating around the company and the crew were reluctant to look. But the knocking continued and as the flight engineer opened the hatch, he was horrified to see the face of Don Repo staring back at him. Terrifyingly, this was where the engineer had been when Flight 401 crashed. It wasn't just flight crews that saw the ghostly apparitions. On one occasion, several caterers loading 318 for its next flight were seen rushing off the jet and refused to get back on. When asked why, they all stated they had seen a flight engineer standing in the forward gallery, I'm sorry, the forward galley, before vanishing right before their eyes. Passengers also reported strange occurrences. A woman sat next to an eastern pilot who she said looked ill, called a stewardess only for the pilot to disappear. Another lady summoned a crew member as she was concerned about the unresponsive pilot sitting next to her. The man once again disappeared, leaving the passenger hysterical. After these incidents, both women were shown pictures of the deceased flight crew both identified Don Repo as the man they'd seen. Flight 903, Eastern Airlines, had just taken off from JFK en route to Mexico City. Stewardess Faye Merriweather was in the galley preparing the meals for the passengers. As she reached for the handle of the oven door, she was horrified to see the face of Don Repo staring back at her. Not one to panic, 
She quickly made her way to the front to get another stewardess and the aircraft's engineer to come with her to take a look. Sure enough, when they returned, Repo's face still stared out from the oven, although now it looked like he was trying to say something. Suddenly, all three clearly heard the apparition mutter the words, Watch out for fire on this plane. The oven had been originally on Flight 104. The flight reached Mexico City safely, but on the return leg, problems began with the aircraft's starboard engine. Uh, cleared the aircraft for takeoff, but as it climbed away, the engine failed and, and backfired several times. It was quickly shut down before it caught fire. They returned to the airport. Several other incidences occurred, including crew members refusing to fly on L-1011s, which had parts from Flight 104 installed in them. There were plenty of requests for paranormal researchers to go on board, but Eastern refused them. And eventually all the salvage parts from 401 were removed from the suspected jets. It's reported that the ghosts of Bob Loft and Don Repo were never seen again. But their haunting words to protect Eastern's L-1011 fleet came true. In the years after the crash until the airline's closure, there was no other fatal crash aboard the TriStar fleet. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, it's quite nice to think that those dedicated pilots may have kept the rest of the TriStar fleet safe. Well, that's the story of the ghost of Flight 401. It was a movie I remember seeing advertised. I never have seen it, but I remember it. I remember the crash one, too. And I remember that ABC TV was going to run crash one night when an actual aircraft crash happened in the real world. So out of decency, they didn't run the movie. Well, that's all I have for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, by the way, it's been a while, and it's almost the anniversary of the crash of Flight 401, late December. Now, if you have any comments or questions or just want to say hi, you can contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook or at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Again, that's Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook or Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Remember to listen on Mondays to Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and to the other Aaron's podcast of Aaron's Horror Show on Tuesday, and then, of course, my show on Wednesday. Wishing each of you a very Merry Christmas, very happy holiday season, and a very wonderful new year. This is Terry from Texas saying goodnight.